History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it, it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're chatting with Pastor Daniel C. He's an author and a speaker and we're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, mate. Tell us a bit of your background. Where were you born and raised? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm um, from Adelaide originally. Uh, so my dad's Chinese from Shanghai. Mum's a dinky Aussie, so I'm half Chinese. And uh, yeah, I grew up in the foothills of Adelaide, just like a, you know, I suppose an ordinary South Australian. And did you have like a religious upbringing at all? Yeah, not at all, actually. Uh, Mum and Dad weren't kind of anti-God, but I, I never went to a church service and we never talked about faith. I didn't have a Bible at home, so no, not that type of upbringing. And tell us about your conversion experience. What happened? Yeah, so I mean, it's, there's a, there are a few experiences, I suppose, as is often the case. Probably one of my first memories of encountering God was as a child, actually. And I remember a few occasions where I was in bed and I was very nervous and anxious child. I was very fearful of things like nuclear war and had this just terrible nervous twitch as a kid. I just didn't feel very secure. And I had this experience where all I can say now is, you know, some type of angel or probably the Holy Spirit actually entered my room and I physically saw this kind of being type thing and uh, I felt this enormous warmth that was very loving. And it's actually happened a few times. And In retrospect, it's a really strange experience, but I, I just felt like I had a friend that I would talk to sometimes and that obviously started me asking questions about, well, maybe there is something <laughs> around, uh, out there that's that's not just my experience of life. Um, but in terms of you know actually meeting Jesus, I... I, uh, my mum actually came to faith through a friend and asked me if I wanted to be baptised. And I did go to a school that was loosely affiliated with a denomination. And so I started to chat with the chaplain and he taught me a bit about Jesus. And I, I didn't know much except for I knew God loved me. So I began to follow Jesus and I, I got baptised. And oh, yeah. interesting, I've never been to church. Uh, and it wasn't until... Probably a month later, I thought, well, if I if I am a Christian now, then I suppose I better work out what it means. So I pulled out a Bible and I read it uh, as a thirteen year old, I think, wow. uh, just cover to cover. I found the Psalms boring, so I skipped <laughs> them. I liked all the wars, and I found Jesus a bit boring, which is hilarious because I love the Gospels now. Um, but uh, I read that, and uh, and I also thought I better start praying. So I started to talk to God about my dog who had died. And uh, about six or nine months later, I said to mum, you know, mum, if we're Christians, should we think of going to a church one day? <laughs> she goes, I've been thinking of that as well. And so we did. And uh, I suppose that was the start of my experience in a, in a church community. And what kind of church did you first join? What was it like walking in? Yeah, so it was the Happy Valley Churches of Christ, or Church of Christ. And uh, it, look, it, it was great. It, it was weird. I mean, they, it, weird and, and beautiful. They, they were beautiful people, but it, church is a bit of an unusual space. Uh, I actually remember, it wasn't actually about that community, but I went, I went on camps actually fairly early on, uh, and the Christian camps were incredible, and they totally transformed my life. 
But I remember playing cards. We were playing Black Lady, I think, uh, or Hearts, as you might call it, with a bunch of young people and the youth leaders at camp. And I think I got stuck with the Queen of Spades, which is like worth 13 points and you don't want to be hit with that. And I remember going, oh, F something, you know. And, uh, and everyone went completely silent because I'd sworn. Ooh. And and I just thought, wow, you're not allowed to use language like that in here. And so I think entering from a, a non-Christian background and then entering the church world, there are things you don't really think. You know, Christians don't really think about how unusual it can be. Yeah. But I, I think from my experience, it was beautiful and it was attractive, but it was weird and super, super unusual at the same time. Wow, it's a great little uh, testimony of uh, you know coming to faith and, and really you know God found you uh, in the middle of uh, your world, which is awesome. Tell us a bit about your your early career. What did you do after school and everything? Yeah, so I became a physiotherapist. That was my first career. Did that for about ten years and worked in the UK, worked around country Victoria, and eventually ended up in Tasmania, which is where I live now. I'm a Hobartian. I, I love this place. I mean, I suppose I just did a fairly ordinary physio career. I eventually ended up in management and project management and health management. Uh, eventually, and at that time, I became a bivocational church pastor. And mm-hmm. There's a few stories behind that. But mm-hmm. um, eventually, I started my own productivity consulting business. So I, I now run a company training leads around the world in how to get their inbox to zero, how to unplug from technology, you know, how, how to make space in the clutter of life. And I obviously am a bivocational church planter and church pastor in Tassie. Well, I do want to talk about your book, Space Maker, shortly. But before that, let's talk about your church. So it's called mm. Together Church, and there's a network as well. Um, tell us what it looks like. Yes, yeah, so we've had a few iterations. I mean, it began... Uh, about 15 years ago, it's a long time, I didn't plant the church. I, I came to Tasmania to learn from the community, and they basically had an outreach at a cafe, and a number of young people became followers of Jesus, but those people didn't feel like they could connect in with the, I suppose, the mother church and the traditions and history of the church. And it was a good church, it's just the particular people weren't able to connect. And so there was this kind of, they had this problem where you had a bunch of really passionate new believers but didn't know what to do with them from a church perspective. And eventually, uh, third-place communities came about, and you'll read about us through Alan Hirsch's writings, but um, we started to meet in pubs and cafes and and tried to be the people of Jesus in third places, so uh, places that weren't, I suppose, um, religious places but also weren't other people's places. Uh, And eventually, after you know, a number of iterations, we've become Together Church. So we were really a, a network of different what we call missional communities, so people who eat and pray and learn and serve together in various suburbs of Hobart. Uh, and then we meet together for a service a few times a month, although we've, we've just rechanged that again, and we're just meeting once a month now and three times in the house church or missional community spaces. Uh, so we're Together Church because we're one church, but we have a passion to see micro churches or little church communities multiply around Tassie where people eat and learn and serve and pray and, and renew the suburbs uh, by entering the nooks and crannies of different communities in different ways. Well, sounds like a great church that's uh, really making a difference and impacting lives. Uh, uh, love the fact that you're bivocational as well. Uh, it's a bit of a juggle between the two, is it? Oh, it's a tremendous juggle. <laughs> there have been years where I've loved it and then there's been years where I've hated it 
but God keeps drawing me back to the value of being a minister in the world and a minister in the church. And I, I do feel personally called to be that kind of bridge between church and world. And I, I, I kind of say to people in the, in the business world, I feel too religious to be a minister. Uh, too, I feel too non-religious to be a minister, but then I, I don't feel religious enough to be a, a minister either. And I just have to live with that tension. And it probably comes from my background, but I love Jesus and I love the church. Uh, it's just trying to straddle both worlds together. And tell us a bit about this new book, Space Makers, that you've released. What's it all about? Yeah, so it's a book uh, <laughs> quite different. It's about digital technology, so that's in my business space. Uh, but it came from the realisation that um, so many of us are starting to use our technology so regularly. We're online so much with Zoom and and you know social media and email and, and all the stuff in our lives that that is actually starting to impact our heart and our health and our spirituality. And while it's not a book written specifically for a Christian audience, it's full of theology and full of my faith. And it really is a book about how do we overcome digital overload and experience the best of both worlds, online and offline, by learning to unplug, unwind and think clearly as a pattern, as a as a ritual, I suppose, in our day-to-day lives. And so it's very practical, but it also really challenges our relationship with the online world, uh, the digital liturgy of our lives and and the way in which our digital habits or digital liturgies shape our faith, our mind and our love for God and love for others and, yeah. and what to do about that. Fantastic, mate. And, you know, I did think uh, that you could use, you know, a, a great jingle for the book too. I thought maybe you could do, you know, <laughs> space maker, miracle worker. Prim-. Have you thought about using that as a as a jingle for the Yeah, product? well, I went to do that, but then Bethel got really upset with me. Oh. So I just had to go back. But uh, <laughs> I do laugh, actually. I, 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 someone once said, you know, instead of space maker, it could be way maker, and I was vice versa. But I was thinking about the, uh, uh, what's it called, the bridge, where he says, where, where we sing... Um, you know, even when even when you don't see it, you're working, and, yeah. and it's funny because you know the book is really saying we need to trust God to work while we rest, and we need to unplug so that He can work. So maybe there is something in it. I don't know. Yeah, we could rewrite. Really, we we could do a parody version. I like it. We could. We could we'll see how it goes. See, see if we can make millions on YouTube, uh, and then give it to the charity, of course. <laughs> and on a serious topic, I've chatted to you about this before, and I'd love to get you to just share a bit about how you get your children to manage their digital devices. Uh, tell us, uh, w- what's it like in your household? Yeah, look, it's a good question. And I do run digital parenting classes in terms of how do you raise healthy teens and tweens digital age. And it's a, it's a challenge, I mean, because again, you know, our, our kids' world is saturated in technology and it needs to be, uh, that's the way we live and work, but... There's also a whole lot of negative effects from some technologies, uh, social media in young teens, particularly, uh, particularly girls, and uh, for their mental health, and you know, for guys, it's um, pornography and other things. But but beyond that, just just the, the sheer volume of technology is unhealthy for kids if it's unbalanced, uh, just like it is for adults. And uh, so, so what do you do? Um, firstly, I would say you need to reframe your own relationship with the digital world because if you're imitating terrible habits. You know, if every time your kids are talking to you, you're actually on your screen, well, that's going to be very hard to uh, encourage them to have better habits. So uh, I, I tend to start with self, which is what the book's about. But then, you know, there are practical things like limiting screen time, um, engaging in the technologies that the kids are engaging in and having conversations. We use a token system where our kids 
uh, I think, have uh, 10 tokens every week. So that's uh, a token's half an hour of screen time. And, you know, so in that they get to choose when they use their screen time. But once it's up, they either have to earn it or they realize that like money, you know, there's a limit to things and we need to be self-reflective in that. Um, and and um, we're also careful with the types of screen time that they have. I mean, not only do we have filtering and basic things to protect our kids from the worst of the online world, but uh, we try to encourage them to do what we call um, leaning back rather than leaning forward technologies. So uh, more like I'm happier for them to watch Netflix or to uh, watch a, a TV show, which is more passive than the really highly engaged, uh, addictive designed you're in the game and you're you're highly interactive in a 3D setting, that that stuff really shapes the neuroplasticity of our brain in different ways. So we're we're also cautious with what they're watching and how they're engaging at different ages. I don't know if that helps. There's a a short summary of a four-hour seminar. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's a a fascinating um, principle that you have in your home. I I love the idea with the tokens and uh, I love the fact that you're uh, constantly reviewing and communicating with your family about how much they're on their devices because this the, the worst thing we can do is do nothing <laughs> it's just to let yeah. them have their device and work it out for themselves um, as parents you know we've got to train our children and like you said we've got to also set an example don't we yeah and look it's our role i mean we are the primary primary disciples of our kids and if I think you're right, if we hand devices early and unfiltered to our kids and, and we're not engaged in that world, then we are actually handing discipleship of them to the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies who really haven't designed the programs to disciple kids in faith. And so we do need to recognize the ideas embedded in the technologies that they use and also just engage with them. We don't want to be negative. Like I, I think my wife and I have actually realized because of my career and what I speak about, uh, our kids maybe have too negative a view of tech, but that might also make them want to rebel and do even more when they're older. <laughs> so it's it's not just being a no person. You know, uh, I think I actually need to start being more positive about tech because I, I mean, I use tech for my whole business and I'm very tech savvy and I'm very tech involved. So I possibly need to balance the scorecard even in my own conversations with my kids. So we're just prayerfully navigating. You know, I do what I see my father doing. I'm trying to to, to find out you know, where the kids are at and, and make the relationship with technology a conversation that grows and navigates as they grow and navigate over time. And that's tricky for parents. There's no right and wrong answer, but it's about being engaged in the discipleship and the apprenticeship of your kids in the ways of Jesus. Yeah, well, mate, it's a, a fantastic conversation to have. And once again, if people want to find out more, the book is called Space Makers. They can search it up or go to the website spacemakers.com.au. And uh, if people want to book you for these uh, digital parenting seminars and, and other uh, things that you do, uh, is the website the best way to contact you? Yeah, yeah, contact. Have a look at the website. The digital parenting is just something I do as a volunteer in Tasmania, actually. I mean, I might do it wider. I'm thinking of seeking grant funding. It's not a business thing. It's more of a ministry kind of thing that I do because I love it. But certainly if people want to book a seminar on how to make space for their work teams, or yeah, if you want to know more about your book or other kind of productivity training, then um, feel free to connect with me. Uh, the book is Spacemaker Singular, but my business is Spacemakers Plural. But if you look up Kurong or any other online bookstore, bookstore you'll be able to find it. 
And I love the fact that on your website, you've got your training there. You, you've got the email ninja, the list assassin, and the priority samurai. I think I need that in my life. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book you in at some stage, hey? That sounds good. Life is too boring to have sensible, you know, stodgy names for, for business training courses. But, uh, yeah, we, we do our best to keep it interesting. Awesome, mate. Well, we pray for the Lord's blessing on you and all the incredible work you're doing uh, with the Together Church Network as well uh, in Hobart. It's been great to catch up with you, Daniel C. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Matt. I appreciate you having me on the show. God bless. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history.